I'll do kind of an overview of uh, Daniel 7. No matter what I say about parts of Daniel 7, half of the people are going to be upset at me half of the time. And so um, we'll stay away from the controversial stuff today, but I, I'd, I'd still like to get into Daniel chapter 7. So let's begin. I would really like to read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to. It's, it's going to take too much time. And so I sort of pared it down a little bit. I'm going to read Daniel 7 beginning in verse 9 and through verse 14. But we'll talk about the entire chapter today on some level. So Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much again for this wonderful book you inspired Daniel to write. Thank you that you selected him from amongst your servants, uh, one that was able to tolerate the difficulty of these visions to write them down clearly for us by your spirit so that we can look into them even today, 2,500 years later, 2,600 years later, and see the wonderful and eternal truth that you have preserved through the ages. I pray that your spirit would work in the hearts and the minds of each person here to give us clarity of thought, clarity of mind, clarity of understanding so that the words that we take would give us hope. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Daniel chapter 7, before the verses that I just read, Daniel is having visions. And in these visions he's having, he sees several beasts, he calls them, and they're odd. Uh, there's, there's some specific things about these beasts that are strange, um, and Daniel describes them, and then, of course, he goes on um, to describe the Ancient of Days and this other one that comes, this Son of Man character that he describes. And then after what we just read, he says, I don't understand what's going on, and he sees someone, an angel, that he can ask, hey, what do these visions mean? And the angel goes on to describe for him what the visions signify. And so what I want to do is build your hope this morning. That's my goal. Last week, uh, I was, uh, not last week, last time I spoke, I was trying to build your faith. And today I want to try to build your hope. With the completion 
of our look at Daniel chapter 6 last time, we have completed the historical overview of the book of Daniel. So reading Daniel 1 through 6, we have looked at the history of the book of Daniel. Then in chapter 7, we have a flashback. Okay, it's not chronological. That's not how God inspired Daniel to put this book together. We flash back in chapter 7 to a gap between chapters 4 and 5. So if you're wondering where Daniel chapter 7 fits, it fits between chapters 4 and 5 if you're going to read it in order. So this isn't the next thing that happens. This is a further description of some of the things that were taking place in Daniel's life. So here we are between chapters 4 and 5. This is sometime between when Nebuchadnezzar wrote his letter to all the peoples. Remember, he came to his senses again after becoming like a beast for a while. And then he wrote a letter and said, everybody should worship the God of Daniel. And then the next thing that we read about in the history is Belshazzar's feast. And so sometime between Nebuchadnezzar's letter where he describes his coming to some sort of faith in the God of Israel and Nebuchadnezzar's feast, Daniel chapter 7 occurs. Daniel has these visions. So what I'd like to accomplish today is to ignite, because I believe we as believers have at least a spark of hope. What I'd like to do is ignite your hope in the future promised to God's people. How great is our God? Does he know our future? Can we trust him when he tells us something? We give the Sunday school answer, our God is the greatest. Yes, he knows our future. Of course we can trust him when he tells us something. We know that with our minds, don't we? Should we not know that with our hearts as well? To have such a confident trust in our great God, that our hope swells within us. We know the answers in our head. Let's move these answers to our heart this morning. Be patient with me, if you would. In verse 2 of Daniel 7, in his dreamer vision, we see that the four winds are stirring up the great sea. So it seems to me that there is great unrest in the world. There's great unrest in the Gentile world, out of which arise these beasts. So out of which arise these kingdoms, the angel goes on to later on to describe to Daniel that these beasts are kings. And they arise out of this turmoil, this sea of unrest where the winds are blowing and things are turbulent. Are things not turbulent in our, in our world? I, I sense great turbulence. I sense a great seeking after some kind of peace, and yet the turbulence just builds and builds and builds. And I see this described in, in um, Daniel chapter 7 as part of history. Part of the nature of uh, human kingdoms is unrest, turmoil, disagreement, Warfare, battle, killing, all of these things. Part of the unrest of life apart from God. Out of this great sea come four great beasts, each unlike the others. 
The first beast is a lion, it says, is like a lion with eagle's wings. The wings are taken off, and it, that lion is made to stand like a man on two feet and given the heart of a man. What do we know about this beast? Well, there's two things we can do when we get to Daniel 7. We can get to these beasts and say, well, that's a nice story. I don't understand it, and walk away. Or we can spend a little time trying to find out what is God trying to say. As a matter of fact, what is he saying? Well, firstly, from verse 17, we know that this is a king. What does Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who Daniel himself had read, what does the prophet Jeremiah tell us about this lion? Well, let's look in Jeremiah chapter 4. And these are words that Daniel would have been reading at the time. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 7 says this, The lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of nations is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make your land desolate. Your cities will be laid waste without inhabitant. This is a prophecy that Jeremiah is giving to the people of Judah that Babylon is coming. Babylon is stirring. And he, he's on his way. He's going to destroy your cities and lay your land waste. And it describes Babylon as a lion. Also in Jeremiah, over a whole bunch of pages to chapter 50 and verse 17. Israel is like scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria devoured him. Now, at last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. So we see that it's not just conjecture that the image of a lion is used. Jeremiah talked about Assyria and Babylon being a lion that destroys Israel and Judah. And then also, just uh, down the page a little bit, verses 43 and 44, the king of Babylon has heard the report about them. And his hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of him. Pangs as of a woman in childbirth. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the floodplain of Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong, but I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? Who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd who will withstand me? So again, we see Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom of Babylon described as this ferocious lion coming up toward Israel. The wings in biblical prophecy always talk about swiftness. A quick movement is described with wings. So we have this lion of Babylon with wings. So there is a swiftness that is being talked about here. When we look at history... In just 21 years, which is an eye blink in ancient history, Babylon went from being a servant of Assyria to the greatest power in the known world under Nebuchadnezzar II. Just 21 years. The reference to standing on two feet like a man and given a man's heart refers to Nebuchadnezzar and his transformation, which, of course, 
transformed the kingdom. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was proud, but was brought low by God and given the heart of a beast. And he ate grass like an ox, it says. And yet God raised him up. And when God raised him up, Nebuchadnezzar claimed some sort of faith in the God of Israel and transformed the kingdom. What we find find out about in history is after about this time, Babylon did no more conquering. Something changed. Went from being like a lion to being much more civil. Did not go around trampling and conquering. Something changed in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar II after this date. And so when we look at the parallel in Daniel 2, we see that this first beast being described by Daniel's vision is Babylon. Clearly and plainly. And so it isn't a prophecy in that sense. This is actually setting up the prophecy to come. This is something that has happened already. It gives us um, sort of a symbolic map as to what to look for in these next beasts that are going to be coming. So this isn't as much a prophecy as it is a rear view description to set the stage for what is to come next. The parallel, for those of you that are interested in study, the parallel, if you're looking back at chapter 2, is the head of gold described in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Then along comes the second beast. It says the second beast is, is like a bear. Now we're into future events. At this time in Daniel's life, this, has not, this had not taken place yet. We are into future events now. God has set the stage with a Gentile kingdom of Babylon, and now he's going to tell us what is to come. This then has to refer to Medo-Persia. Does it fit hand in glove? Well, let's have a look. It says that this bear is raised up on one side because although it is a kingdom made of two peoples, the Medes and the Persians, The Persians were always dominant over the Medes. The Medes were sort of a mountain people. The Persians were sort of the aristocratic ruling class. And so this bear raised up on one side is to show that these two peoples did not make an equivalent kingdom. There was an imbalance. And so we have this bear raised up on one side seems to look like the Medo-Persian Empire. I think the real dead giveaway here is the fact that the bear has three ribs in its mouth. In order to come to power, the Medo-Persians had to do something. They had to do some conquering. And when we look at history, now in hindsight, we find out that the Medo-Persians conquered three kingdoms in order to come to world power. Those three kingdoms were Babylon, which we read about in Daniel 6. Lydia, which is really the kingdom which is now called Turkey, and Egypt. So the Medo-Persians, like a bear, devoured these three kingdoms. And so we have these three ribs in the mouth of the bear. This bear is told to arise and devour much flesh. So there's something unique that the first animal was not told. The first beast was not told. Well, 
At the height of its power, the Medo-Persian Empire conquered more than six times as much land as Babylon had conquered. It did indeed devour much flesh. It was a brutal empire, killing and slaughtering and devouring over six times as much um, land as what Babylon had held as a world power. The parallel, for those of you again that are studying, in Daniel chapter 2 is the chest and the arms of silver. The third beast is like a leopard with wings. Now, the first, the second beast had two wings. The third beast has four wings. So now that you know that wings identify swiftness, what do you think the four wings might identify? More swiftness. <laughs> Makes, it seems to make quite a bit of sense. More swiftness. This is a faster beast. It's a leopard, which is an incredibly fast animal, but not nearly as strong or powerful as the bear. More fragile, say, than the bear. This um, leopard also has four heads. Now, if we're looking now in hindsight at history, what can we learn? The Medo-Persian Empire was conquered by a Macedonian Greek by the name of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, uh, as an aside, had a tutor named Aristotle. The conquests of Macedonian Greece under Alexander the Great were more rapid than even those of Babylon. Babylon took 21 years to go from an underpower to the greatest power on, on earth. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in three years. By divine providence, I think, not because Alexander was an open servant of the God of Israel, but because God had a plan and he used Alexander the Great as one of his pawns and did exactly what God wanted him to do. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in three years, from 334 BC to 331 BC. The leopard is more agile and swift than a lion or a bear, but more frail. Alexander died in 323 BC at the age of 32. When he died, he left Greece to four generals. Bring back some recollections of uh, the prophecy given to Daniel. He left Greece to four generals. Their names are Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. And he divided, and they divided the kingdom among themselves. And this, I think, quite plainly symbolizes the leopard's four heads. The parallel in Daniel 2, for those of you that are studying, is, of course, the belly and the thighs of bronze. Yes, I have a point. Hang in. I know some of you. I saw yawns. Hang in there. It's coming. The point is coming. The fourth beast was nothing like the other three. When Daniel describes the fourth beast, he said, just seeing the beast, he goes on to say, the, vi the vision disturbed him so much that he felt physically ill. This fourth beast was terrifying, even to Daniel, in just a vision. It was terrifying. He describes it as dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. As many, as many of us are aware, 
It was the brutal empire of Rome that conquered Greece and continued to expand its borders. It was the kingdom in power over Israel when the Messiah came. It says that this beast had teeth of iron. If we look in Daniel chapter 2, verse 40, we see that the feet of the great statue were of iron and bronze. We can, so we can see a parallel there. But in this vision, the beast had teeth of iron. And it goes on to describe claws of bronze. This is unique in that it describes the claws here of this fourth beast. In Old Testament symbolism, bronze always identified judgment based on law. And if there's one thing that we inherited from the Roman Empire, it's the idea of a court of law, the idea of a law that every man is subject to. As a matter of fact, most of our legal words are in Latin, which was the language of the Romans. That's how pervasive the idea of law was. And it was a brutal law. There was no mercy in Roman law. There was no pardon. There was no forgiveness. You broke the law, you paid the price. And so we see this beast with teeth of iron and claws of bronze that trample, trample underneath it everything that it encountered. Roman society was so centered on law that most of our legal terms in English today, 2,000 years later, derive from Latin. And between the iron teeth and the bronze claws, Rome crushed men and nations everywhere it turned its eye. The parallel, of course, is the legs and feet of iron and clay. But there is another parallel that I want to look at very briefly. Turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 and the first two verses. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, so we have the sea again, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Do you see the parallels here? How the Gentile kingdoms are rising up in God's plan. Now John, of course, compresses this vision into one beast, where Daniel has four, but you see the attributes of the rise of the Gentile nations and the types of things that godless society is like, the types of things that are important to them and the way they deal with others. So we can plainly see, I think, very plainly see, that what God decrees, what God decrees occurs without fail. Daniel wrote these things. These things that Daniel wrote are so clear and so plain and came true 500 years before the events, 400 years before the events, that people that don't believe in prophecy, 
people that think maybe that God can't tell the future or that there is no God, they insist that the book of Daniel could not have been written when Daniel was alive. It had to have been written after the fact because it describes in too much detail the things that happened. Unfortunately, the weight of historical evidence lies in the opposite direction. What God says will happen. It will happen, regardless of any goals of any men or any one man, no matter how powerful the man, even someone like Alexander the Great. In his haste to conquer the known world, fulfilled God's prophecy perfectly. So what does God say next? Turn in Daniel 2, back to Daniel 2. Let's see what God says next. And I want you to plant your heart on this. Here's what God says next. After all the beasts, after all the turmoil, after all the Gentile kingdoms do what they want to do, with the violence and lack of peace and warfare, what does God say next? And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then over to verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed." In the same breath that God described the future of the Gentile kingdoms, he has said this, one is coming like the Son of Man, and his kingdom is going to be eternal. What did Jesus refer to himself as? The Son of Man. The Son of Man, over and over and over again. And when they asked Jesus, are you the King of the Jews? Are you the one that has come? He says, I am. And... You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. I don't know um, how well you know Jesus, but I know him this well. He told the truth. Down a few more verses to verse 27. 
Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And the, and the end of the whole story? I'm so thankful God didn't leave us in the dark. He told us the end of the whole story. Revelation chapter 21. God tells us the end of the story. We just learned in looking at Daniel chapter 7 that whatever God says happens. It's a 100% guarantee. It's going to happen no matter what. Nothing can change it. Nothing can thwart it. Nothing can skew it. It's going to happen. God promised. And what did he promise for the end of the story? Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I don't know about you guys. I'm looking forward to a day when God wipes every tear from our eyes. This world is full of sorrow and pain and heartache and tears and death and crying and loss. There are people that we're praying for right now that are experiencing these types of things. Clint and Sasha, their children, Pastor Steve and his wife, their parents. All of us have experienced the loss of someone we loved or some sort of pain that overtook us. And we wanted to cry out to God, God, why? It's so hard. It's too hard. And then we read the end of the story. Aren't you thankful for the end of the story? What God says will happen. He proved it in his visions to Daniel. He continues to prove it today. And he's going to prove it ultimately by wiping away every tear and making all things new. When we are reunited with those others that we loved that also had faith in Christ to fix that which we broke. I hope that builds your hope this morning. Let's pray.